Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tapped In Beer Cast. I'm Dave Morales, and today we're talking with Wes Finger, head brewer at the mighty Culshin Brewing. Wes has been on my list for literally years, so it was great to finally sit down with him and get his whole story. We made quite the evening of it and chatted for, say, five hours, around three of which were recorded. Tangents and refills were plentiful, and there were topics that didn't get captured for posterity, but also plenty that hit the cutting room floor for the sake of brevity and your patience. I mean, hey, one must seek balance, right? But hey, you're not here to listen to me, so let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Wes Finger. Wes, Finger, thanks for coming. Hey, glad <laughs> to be here. This is fun. Yeah. So you are the, the head brewer at Culshin. I know I was uh, talking to you about Robert Sanner earlier, but uh, you were another person that wasn't easy to, to find much about mm-hmm. online. I found like one, one interview uh, that was okay. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, just there's not even much in the, on the Culshin site of, mm-hmm. about you. It just as your picture because it's got everybody's picture, which was really nice to see, yeah. actually. I thought that was really well done. So kudos, Dave. Um, but, uh, so I guess, you know, of course, let's just start at the beginning. You're obviously a brewer. Were you, are you just a home brewer made good? Did you have any professional experience before you got to Kulshan or how did that come about? Yeah, no. So Kulshan was my first, my first pro brewing gig. Um, started working there in August of 2013, at which point my story was very unoriginal when it comes to brewers. I'd been you know, home brewing my mom's stove for back up a little bit. I was 22. I just turned 22 and I got hired at Colson. Um, so I've been home brewing since I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, was going to college down in Tacoma and was wildly uninspired by what I was studying. But, uh, <laughs> but it was home brewing a lot and really enjoyed it. Being from Bellingham, I uh, had the advantage of a lot of sort of, you know, connections to folks around town. And um, my, my dad uh, owns a uh, Longest running organic vegetable farm in Whatcom County. Oh yeah, which one? Uh, Cedarville Farm. Okay, yep. Um, one of the oldest CSA programs in the state. Cool. Nice. Um, and uh, one of his customers back in 2013 was uh, the original head brewer Tom Eastwood's parents, and he mentioned to them that his son was a home brewer and, and was home for summer vacation, and and they said, "Hey, well, Tom needs some help washing kegs." Mm-hmm. Um, Always, and uh, I was looking for. I had already uh, dropped out of school once to try to go be a brewer in Bend. Went to Bend, dropped applications off around town, and got some leads to be a dishwasher. But ultimately, decided to wow. keep, keep keep going to college. Um, so, anyways, uh, I was planning on going back to school, but ended up uh, washing kegs at Colshin back in you know, August of 2013, and as uh, as it would. Happened to be uh, Ben Bucarelli had just quit Colshin to really go all in on Menace, even mm-hmm. though Menace actually was a licensed brewery before Colshin was. Um, right, that's right. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so he had just left, and so Tom and Dave offered me a position as a seller, sellerman, and uh, I decided that sounded better than going back to uh, back to college. What were you studying? <clears throat> I was studying, so I was, a, I was going to the University of Puget Sound, a nice liberal arts school down there. It was a very liberal artsy degree. Uh, my major was science, technology, and society. It was like a 
history of science and some hard science degree. Kind of figured I'd go and do environmental law, ultimately, something like that. Something that would require definitely uh, going more, to more schooling. More schooling. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, so, yeah, it was a, kind of a, a no brainer at the time. I mean, I was at an age where I figured, hey, I can, I mean, still, you can always all go back to school if we want to. Never too late. Um, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I did, uh, got the job at Colshan and uh, worked my butt off. And within the first, I guess, within about three months on the brew deck brewing. And um, my only real formal education was, I guess, the next fall, so about a year in, I went and did the Master Brewers Association. Um, what do they call it? The incise, or is that? They're brewing and malting site. It's like a down in Chico, or uh, this was in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. And honestly, it was a great experience. I can't say that necessarily as something that you do for three weeks uh, <laughs> teaches you that much, but it was definitely a good. Good experience. Sciency Foundation. Yeah, Sciency Foundation. And I think sort of for me it was an inspiration to keep keep going with with the self-education and and continuing education that I think I, I continue to this day. Um so yeah, that's kind of my my background was a lot of home brewing. My parents, when I was in high school, told me that if I wanted to drink beer, I had to make my own beer. So <laughs> they uh gave me uh what's Papazian's original book? The love uh, of homebrewing. Joy of homebrewing. Joy of homebrewing. Yeah. So, like so many the, of us. The tome that everybody had. Yeah. That we all had. That mm-hmm. I was like, all right, Wes, read this book. Here's this extract kit. Make your own beer. Yeah. And so you've been, so now, I mean, you worked your way up to, to, the, to the lead brewer. Describe, describe what that is because you've got both K1, uh, which still has a brew house in it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a yeah. functioning brew house. And then, um, and then K2, and now you have Trackside, which I know is just a tap place. But, uh, you know, you went from, I mean, I remember Dave talking about going from a 7 to a 10 to a 15 to, you know. And yeah. it, so it's a, it, if, if I'm up to speed, um, there's a 15-barrel system at the original Culshin, mm-hmm. and then you have that giant 30-barrel system at, uh, at K2. How do you oversee all, both? operations and what function does k1 serve assuming that k2 is primarily the, the production mm-hmm. you know thing where all the canning and the, the stuff that goes out the door happens yeah so i mean at this point i'm the head brewer and then um jen tatter who, who folks who are mm-hmm. familiar with the bellingham brewing scene know because she's a fantastic brewer she's the lead brewer at the sunnyland brewery right um so you know yeah and like you said, K2 is our production facility. That's where anything that goes in cans is brewed at K2. And at this point, you know, the vast majority of our barrelage goes into cans. Um, however, still a lot of the fun stuff we make does not go into cans. Um, and a number of our, of our flagship beers, you know, Transporter, one of our oldest beers, um, Russian Imperial Stout, um, a lot of beers like that, as well as just a lot of fun one-offs are all made at the Sunnyland Brewery still. So we've got a pretty fun, I guess, split where it's like, at this point, we make about 10,000 barrels a year. Um, you know, 8,500 to 9,000 of that is made at K2. And as you know, your Bastard Cat, Premium Lager, Heliotrope, stuff like that. Um, Hellas. Hellas, absolutely. Yep. Delicious, um, <laughs> by the way. Thank, thank you. you again for bringing uh, that. Very proud of this beer. So a lot of the stuff, yeah, the, if you go to a Hagen or a Fred Meyer and you see Colshan, that stuff would brew at K2. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but Sunnyland's where a lot of the stuff, if you go to our tap rooms and you look at the 20 beers we have on tap, a lot of the beers you're going to see on tap um, were, were brewed at the Sunnyland Brewery. Um, so a lot of kegging goes on there at the Sunnyland. Yep, yep. And a little bit of bottling. We have a Maheen bottling line, a little <clears throat> mobile six-head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, brewers are familiar with Maheens and how they offer flexibility and massive headaches and mm-hmm. fits of rage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, like, it's like the Volkswagens of the brewing industry. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> They're fun when they work. Except I think people yeah. who are own Volkswagens love them. I don't think we love our Maheen a whole lot, but I guess <laughs> we love the fact that it allows us to put beer in the bottles, which right. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, at this point in terms of my role, yeah, I mean, I oversee brewing operations at both places and we have a staff of about, I guess, what, um, 11 or 12 production folks between both, both places. Nice. Are you, are you kind of stuck being relegated to the administrative side of things or do you get <laughs> to wear the boots? Um, well, this morning I started my day brewing, brewing Bastard Cat at five mm-hmm. in the morning, but that is a little, <clears throat> a little bit more unusual for me at this point. Yeah. Um, though, I, I mean, I think all brewers who still love their job wish they could just brew all the time. Right. But That's what um, everybody thinks that the job is. Right. Um, <laughs> but no, at this point, my, my role is largely administrative. Mm-hmm. But you just did a collab with, uh, with Jorgensen yep. last week, right? Yeah. That's kind of how this and, happened. And, and, yeah. that was, and that was great. Yeah, yeah Plank Brothers, year, year three of that sort of, um, uh, it's a beer that's inspired by German Pilsners, but that's a, uh, a bit of a bastardized, fun twist on, on German yeah. Pilsners. When, uh, when, will, when will we see that? Uh, we'll see that um, mid-November. Okay. Yep. It's just about at terminal gravity now, and then it's going to give it a nice five, five-ish weeks of lagering time, and then cans and draft. Yeah, that's one of my favorite beers, and it's nice. been so fun to do that with him. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yep. Yeah, this today being, uh, this day, anyway, it's mid-October. Yep. We'll call it mid-October. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've, uh, one of my things that I'm always telling people is I think, that brewers tend to be very process oriented, mm-hmm. you know, almost like an engineer or something like that. As anybody who, who brews for a living knows, recipe formulation is one of the smallest percentages mm-hmm. <laughs> of what the job is. I guess, first off, would, would you agree that uh, the brewers tend to be process oriented people? I will avoid saying anything controversial right now, but I think the brewers who I admire most are There's only stre- five people yeah. listening. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think good brewing is really honestly about being very process. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, it's, I know there's some people like our good friend Eric Jorgensen, who's hopefully one of the five people listening, who <laughs> dislike is. the word balance. Um, I like the word balance because I think so much of brewing is about balancing all these different factors. And so, of course, you can have an amazing process. But if you're using shit ingredients, then, right. then fuck it. It doesn't really matter. But I do think for those of us, which in craft brewing is almost all of us who come from a home brewing background, when you start home brewing, you're all about the recipe. You're like, oh, how am mm-hmm. I going to take all these different malts and hops and make this amazing mosaic of ingredients and make this amazing beer? And that, of course, is part of it. Yeah, like I think once you cook. become a professional brewer, where you graduate to being a good professional brewer is when you realize that Process is where you actually, doesn't matter how good your recipe is, if you've got a terrible process, it's still going to be terrible beer. And process you know? also begets consistency, right. which becomes important. 
For most. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it used to be, well, that's not even true. Um, you know, a lot of breweries want that consistency. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, like one bastard cat should taste like the next. Right. One boundary scotch should taste like the next. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing that, you know, regardless of what you think of Budweiser, it's amazing that yeah. any can that you pick up, any mm-hmm. bottle that you pick up anywhere in the States is going to essentially taste yep. the same. That's hard to do. You know, there are, there are small breweries that, that never do the same thing yep. the same way, and that's kind of their deal. And I'm going off the rails on that. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, what excites you most about running a brewery? Like, what is it that when you go in, you're just like... You know, honestly, I think for me, and, and not to sound really corny here, but the thing for me that still, I think, gets me going the most is, especially with having opened our new trackside beer garden this summer, and I think... Um, tapping into some, especially younger folks who maybe before weren't fans of Colson, but it's still just seeing people enjoying each other's company and enjoying the beer that, that we make. That for me is just still a thing that I think is the most rewarding for me. Beyond that, I think the most challenging and rewarding thing I think at this point is, is partially the personnel side of things, like trying to build a really good team that's making this amazing beer. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, it's the hardest part of the job, I think, is, is for my job at least, is, is personnel management and, and that side of things. Um, it's tough. People are, people are hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for me, even with, the, you know, we are a small brewery, we still have a pretty decent-sized production staff. For me, that's the most challenging part of my job is really, I, I mm-hmm. think, um, is, is management and, and trying to be a – I still think that's where my biggest shortcomings are as – as a manager, not really as a, as a brewer, but that's kind of, that's very separate from beer, but at the same time, incredibly tied in because right. I rely, we all rely heavily on each other mm-hmm. to, to make consistent good beer. I guess we could talk a, a little bit about the the thing that every brewer has to has to deal with, and we've we've talked we talked about this um, when we were warming up, mm-hmm. um, just about trends, mm-hmm. you know, and being a professional brewer, having to chase those trends and they come and go some stick, some don't, some are really great ideas. Some are fucking terrible ideas. (laughs) Glitter beer. I'm looking at you. Um, (laughs) uh, and then some have their fans, but your brute IPAs, your brute IPAs. I think people liked those. I was thinking, you think when I was thinking specifically like "Eh, weird things that you know, that have their fans like pastry stouts and like yep, yep, stuff absolutely. like that, you know, just the really sweet. I mean, it's impressive on a recipe building level, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean I want to drink it right all the time. <laughs> That's um, a good way to put it. And I was just wondering how you feel about having, you know, being expected to chase those trends, mm-hmm. if not even come up with the new trend. I mean, do you feel is that something that you feel compelled to do or are you allowed the luxury of picking and choosing how or if you're going to approach that? Yeah. So I guess, I guess to start with, I, I am very fortunate in that I, as long as the beers we are brewing sell, I have incredible freedom to, to do what I want to do. And so huge thanks to, to Dave Vitt, Colson's founder, for giving, that, giving me that freedom. Um, that being said, I think 
no matter what kind of brewery you're brewing for, you got to kind of know what lane you're in a little mm-hmm. bit. And so I think there's breweries who can never brew. They, they don't brew core beers. Mm-hmm. Every single beer they brew is, is a new beer. Consistency doesn't matter. That's their lane. That's fun. That's great for them. Um, I think the lane that we're in is that we are a brewery that sells about 60% of our ish of our, of our volume to distributors, to grocery mm-hmm. stores. So to a certain extent, to keep the lights on, to keep water flowing, all that, we do have to brew beer that's going to move on. Yep. The volume game. Yeah. When you've it, got a 30-barrel brew house, it's And the way game. that I've always viewed it, um, and I know that I certainly can think of some folks who I think resent that sort of situation. What I've always viewed it is that you brew those beers that pay the bills, and that gives you the freedom to then go and brew like Hellas, Absolutely. you know, like yeah. canning Hellas was purely me being like, I fucking love this beer. Mm-hmm. I want it to be in my fridge all the time. I want to can it. So um, I'm getting a little sidetracked here. but I, So I think on the one hand it is like we, we make, I'll totally say it. I'm, I'm not a big hazy IPA fan. I don't really enjoy them that much. Um, however, at a certain point, we realized we needed to make them. Um, because we are a brewery that has always made our most money off of hoppy beers, off of mm-hmm. IPAs. And that's just the direction that that trend was going. Yeah, it's, um, it's gotten compulsory. And so point. we kind of need to make them. So I was like, well, how can we make them in a way that, that maybe I, that I will enjoy as well? And that's still, I think, a journey that I'm on is figuring out how to make those as best we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. There's, it gets in some weird gray areas. But I still do put my foot down on certain things. Like we're not currently. And again, all due respect to folks who want to make uh, hard seltzers. To me, I'm a brewer. I'm not in the business of making spiked uh, seltzer water. Again, folks who are doing that, power to them, love mm-hmm. it. That's just not what we're doing. Um, same thing with like these pastry, pastry stouts or uh, pastry IPAs and whatnot. I've been seeing this stuff about you know these these sorts of pastry IPAs that aren't you know you, if you don't refrigerate them, the cans explode. IPAs. I mean, I've heard of stouts and stuff. How, what's the, they're, they're, pardon my this, ignorance, but what is a pastry yeah? No, there's IPA. this whole new trend of of these like fruited, sorry, slushy IPAs a where little marzipan that goes onto well, the, basically you're 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 leaving a whole bunch of fermentables in in these IPAs uh, and saying, hey, you got to drink these fresh or refrigerate them, otherwise they're going to explode and. So I don't know. To me, because they'll actually finish like a beer is supposed to. Right. Exactly. Oh my god. So some of those things to me, it, for me personally as a brewer, those cross the line where mm-hmm. I'm like, we're not going to go there just to move cases of beer. You can have a beer that didn't finish out and be like, oh, it's a pastry beer. Right. Like, so I think there's certain things. And granted, like you know, I've I've been doing this now for eight years, and the industry was very different when I started. IPAs were clear. You know, none of this stuff existed. So maybe some of it's kind of old school, but I think there are certain <clears throat> things that I still hold to be very true, which mm-hmm. one of them is that a beer should be done fermenting when it's in a can. <laughs> um, what a novel I idea. Know. So I don't know. I, I think for yeah. me, I had a brew like Colchon that's, that's big enough that a lot of our volumes go into grocery store shelves. Of course, we have to stay attuned to trends. Sure. There's plenty of examples of like your Ninkasis, for instance, who tried to just stick by their old flagships and are now kind of struggling mm-hmm. big time. So you got to stay to some extent. You got to evolve. You got to change. Yeah. But I think you still can have lines you don't cross. <laughs> right. Um, and I guess that's uh, something you're always having to evaluate. Sure. Yeah. yeah. How, how important, you know, because <laughs> sometimes what could be, 
taking the low road and be like, I'm not fucking doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, turns out that you're right. You know, if it's just like a passing fad and you're like, yeah, yeah we never did that. We knew that that was just complete bullshit. Again, glitter beer. Looking at you. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's great that you mentioned the seltzer thing because one thing that, that I was personally impressed with was the fact that uh, you didn't do seltzer, mm-hmm. but your answer to that was, um, oh my God, what's it called? The Aperro? A- Aperro. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's very light, often fruity, and seltzer-like, but it's a beer, right? Yeah. I mean, it's still a beer. Uh, I applaud that decision, sir. Um, <laughs> just, I guess, explain, like, was that a discussion that you had to have with the other brewers or with Dave? You know, just saying, like, let's not do that. What if we do this? And it's still yeah. a beer, and we're still being true to ourselves mm-hmm. without, not that making seltzer is selling out, it's still a fermented beverage, but. The story of Apero actually, I think is a pretty fun one um, that actually didn't have much at all to do with seltzers. And that's a beer that I think, unfortunately, the pandemic has sort of halted a little bit our ability to promote it as much as we wanted. Plus, yours truly choosing a name, I think that's kind of confusing to people. But uh, I just thought it meant a dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that beer was actually born out of the Brute IPA uh, mm-hmm. thing. And that we made some Brute IPAs, and I was like, eh, I don't really, I'm not a fan of this. You know, we're using this enzyme, which I will admit, I, I think enzymes have their place in brewing. I'm, the I'm, I'm, a, I'm not yeah. a, I'm, a, I'm inspired by a tradition, but I also am not a traditionalist. I think, hey, an enzyme, that'll make a fun beer. Why not? Know, um, know the rules so that you can break them. Exactly. Precisely. So, so yeah, we made some brute IPAs. I thought some of them were kind of fun, but they were all just kind of out of balance to me. And then I was like, well, what if you were to make a super, super light fruited beer using this enzyme? And that was around the same time that, that White Claw was really taking off. And so certainly at that point, I was kind of like, well, could we sort of try to capture some of that same? And where I got the name Apero was, um, you know, I think a lot of folks in the industry are familiar with Leafman's, the famous Belgian brewery known for, the, for their lambiques and whatnot. They, I went to their website for some reason one day and, and they make these beers described as being Apero beers, which Apero just, I guess, is this French tradition of basically it's happy hour. You mm-hmm. go and have a light, refreshing beverage, just yeah. smoke a cigarette, whatever, you know. It's an aperitif. So, yeah. Right, aperitif. Yeah. So that's where Apero was born from was, was just kind of, and I get it, you know, I'm a mountain biker. I like, I like things that sometimes, I don't want to necessarily drink. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love Pilsner and Hellas is their beers you can drink all day long. But I get the, the draw to these lower calorie, calorie lighter drinks and whatnot. I just don't like seltzers. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, Paris has been a fun one. And it's been one where with, I think, a lot of, they do really well in our tap rooms. We've had the opportunity to kind of educate people on, on them. And, um, and then lo and behold, out in, the, on, in grocery stores, they don't do quite as well because people are like, what, what is this thing? Right. <laughs> um, right. So, so anyhow, I, th- I for us, it's been a way to kind of check that box, but still be brewing beer. Yeah, I and I'll admit I haven't had one since I was in the Sunnyland Cultion yeah. in the before times. Yeah, so totally. But I just remember it and remember it being very light. I can't remember what the bartender said. I can't remember what she said, but I think that I was full at the time, mm-hmm. not overserved. <laughs> and uh, just like I just need something light. Yeah, can you just try that? Shuckable. It's yeah, super, super delicious. So yeah, yeah. I've only had two seltzers, yeah. and when I was at King Street, I was working with these, uh, well, a few few beer dorks, but 
the two beer dorks that I ended up brewing the hazy IPA for, which mm-hmm. was the last podcast that I did, was all about me breaking down and brewing a hazy <laughs> IPA for them. I had one pint. I was like, mm-hmm. yep, it's good. Yep. Um, I just wanted to, you know, for all the shit that I talk about, it was like, you should. Can I do this? Can I do this? Yep. You know? Yep. And so researched it, you know, mm-hmm. did it up, did it right. It was good. I was <laughs> proud of it, but I don't want it anymore. Yep. And, uh, but one guy is, is, uh, is big on the seltzer thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, it's just so light and refreshing and blah, blah, blah. It's really good. And like, okay, you know what you're talking about. What, you know, which one should I try? Yeah. You know, and I'm going to slap you if you tell me White Claw. He's like, go to Rubens. Like, they're making really good. I've ones. also heard that. I, saw, I haven't had theirs. I went. It was good. Yeah. Not my thing. Yeah. You know, totally. I mean, Adam doesn't make anything bad. No. So uh, totally. it was delicious. And, but I was like, okay, well, if this is as good as it gets, mm-hmm. I'm out. Like, yeah. I don't, not my thing. You know. Well, for me, it would have to sort of um, knock out of contention the other things that I enjoy drinking when I'm going for a light, refreshing, beverage and mm-hmm. yeah i would still way rather drink like a fruited kettle sour or or honestly like aperol a Coors Light or something or like that, that. Yeah. like you yeah. know there's any number of things i think yeah. check that same box yeah like, i'll drink you know i mean the best every beer has its place personally the my favorite uh seltzer i've had was actually the kirkland brand seltzer that's the other one that i had yeah. and it was good yeah but yeah, but, exactly that. You know, it was good. It was good. Am I going to buy it ever? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those are the two that yeah. I've had. Yeah. And uh, it's like, I'm, yeah. I'm happy for you. That's yep. great. Um, we seem to be empty on beers. So yeah, I think it's time to. Let's do that. Let's just, uh, well, let's just go ahead and take a break. We'll do a, a sponsor break, even though we don't, we don't have sponsors. <laughs> it just sounds good in podcasting to say that. Uh, so we will be right back after this very important message. Nailed it. We're back. We're back. All right. (laughs) And we actually did take a break. Uh, A beer break. I should have taken a pee break, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see what happens. I got it depends on. <laughs> Practical. Yeah. So um, we were just, when we were out, out back pouring beer and drinking beer, um, we got to talking about adjuncts. And yeah. I mean, I was, um, you know, again, one of those things like you, you talk off, off mic and it's like, oh, that'd be good. Like, mm-hmm. We should talk about that. Because we're getting ready to get into more brewing specific and like super dorking out things, let's let's talk about adjuncts. So we're drinking the a Kentucky Common that I made right now that's got a bunch of corn in it. And you know, your average beer that your average craft beer drinker drinks doesn't have corn. Like like you were saying, maybe a Mexican lager and then and then this uh like Kentucky Common style, which not too many people do. I know Fringe has one. Um have you guys ever um, style uh, like we have okay and i think when we pardon, made it, we, pardon my ignorance <laughs> no, no 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 worries i think when we've done it we have done it at, with with no adjuncts and i think a lot of craft brewers i did them as all all barley mm-hmm. 
uh, which is not historically uh, right. an accurate way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, this is like uh, a drinkable bourbon mash. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is essentially what it is. Yeah. You know, a little bit of wheat, some, some two row, a lot of corn, and, uh, but then ops and, you know, making it drinkable yeah. instead of something that you're just going to still. Right. <laughs> So, so speaking about adjuncts, we were talking about them, and uh, you were saying that that you guys use a lot of rice, and yeah. uh, and a spe- uh, specifically toasted rice, which sounds to me really good. I love using toasted oats mm-hmm. um, and stuff. So, I guess where do you where do you, where do you get that, and how do you go yeah. about using it? So, I, it, it is kind of interesting that I think there's different names. So. Um, it's basically a, a flaked rice is what the product is. It's, it's a pre-gelatinized rice. Flaked rice. What did I say? Toasted. But no, the, 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 I, yeah. I said toasted as well okay. because um, we buy it from BSG. And it is called toasted rice, but I think it's a bit misleading. It's not like toasted and that it has some sort of like toasty or, you know, um, sort of already, uh, I think toasty, I also think about things that have a bit of a Maillard reaction, a bit more sweetness to them. This is more just like a pre-gelatinized rice product that you don't have to do a cereal mash for. You can just mash in with your with your regular grist, do whatever your your uh, rest regimen is, and and you'll get good conversion from that. But you could if you so desire. But you sure could if you so desire. I know some <laughs> folks out there do that. Um, we find that with and when we use this to be, I guess, to um, divulge what our process is, we do always do a um, a step mash. We use rice um usually starting out pretty cool and then raising all the way up to a, a near mash out type temp getting everything that you can exactly right? yeah so i think it probably does benefit from that so that being said just to go <laughs> contradict what i just said we definitely have used that um at our sunny land brewery with the, just a pure infusion mash it's worked out just fine mm, okay um, but generally so it's versatile use, i mean it's, you it's could you could do it in a brew in a bag situation if you were doing it oh, at home absolutely yeah I wonder what it would taste like. Yeah. yeah. It'd be That'd be really good. I'll try that. <laughs> wonder if you can get that on a home level. Yeah. I'll ask Robert. Um, um, yeah, it's a great ingredient. I really like it. I mean, it, to me, I think it's very, a very flavor, pretty flavor neutral ingredient. Um, dries beers out. I think a lot of folks probably think about, you know, they're called like Japanese or Asian style lagers, I think are a great example of that. Just super dry, clean. Yeah, I remember beers. loving the Hitachino when I had the, the bottle shop, the Hitachino rice ale. Like, huh. oh, I've never had so that. Good. Yeah, it's a Japanese yeah. rice lager. Cool. Yeah. Really good. It's got a little owl on it. Hmm. I assume it's still around. I mean, that was yeah. a while ago, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think a lot of home brewers, probably less so now, but but in the past, you learn about the Reinheitsgebot and you're like, well, mm-hmm. I only need four things to right. make beer and, you know. Corn ain't one of them. Rice ain't yeah. one of them. But I think what a lot of people, or what, what I get a lot of is, especially, well, ex- exclusively home brewers, I would say, that are, are of that mindset, but then they want to make a Belgian beer. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're not going to you're as not going to As long as it's got that. the words Belgian candy in front, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, but even then, you know, it's like, well, that seems weird, adding sugar yeah. to a beer. It's like, well, you're never going to get mm-hmm. that flavor without some kind of sugar yeah. in there. You know, adjuncts aren't bad. No. It's, 
was was the gist of our conversation earlier. Totally, and that's I think I think a lot of that just comes from uh, a lot of folks where we start from as home brewers is like big beer, Budweiser, Anheuser Busch, all that. That's the bad stuff, and they all use adjuncts, and so we want to be the good stuff, which is you know more pure ingredients, you know, um, and I think for me at least in my journey as a brewer. I've come to realize it's not as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and partially I've come to really res- respect in some ways the beers that those big breweries make. Yeah. Also realizing that those adjuncts are, you know, are have their place. Mm-hmm. You know, they're um, tools. They're, they're tools. And, they're, and I think the best brewers realize that there's this whole big range of tools that you have in your, in your toolkit. And they all have their appropriate places. Mm-hmm. If you can put fucking peanut butter in a beer, you can put rice in a beer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to put peanut butter in a beer, but you never know. It might happen someday. Yeah, I never have. Yeah. Um, I've We've had the powdered peanut butter yeah. before to put mm. in smoothies. And yeah. I remember brewing a stout one day and being like, mm, I wonder. But I, hear I didn't do it. great for head retention. False. <laughs> well, I was thinking, I mean, my first thought was like the powdered stuff I was like, well, I don't know what's in it. <laughs> Who knows? That? Maybe it's got like, some protein. You were in there just <laughs> fucking with me, but you had me for a second. I was like, mm, I don't think I agree with that, but please continue. <laughs> um, well, let's let's get into the fun stuff here. Um the second half, if you will, these are these are this is where it gets really fun, and all the good <laughs> stories come out. the The first question that I always like to ask is, "Do you remember your first beer? First beer that you had?" You know, I do, in fact, and it's not going to be that. Uh, it was it was Fat Tire. Mm, okay. Um, gr- growing up. Uh, here in Bellingham, right? You grew up uh, out, outside of Bellingham, yeah. Kind of, Around. Yeah, in, in the sticks outside of Bellingham. Um, my folks, although they now have become, uh, you know, cultured beer drinkers, back when I was a kid, were not. They are mostly wine drinkers. But my dad would always have fat tire in the fridge. And, and yeah, I just remember him uh, probably when I was, I don't know, maybe middle school, something like that, off and just poured me a little glass of it. And I thought it tasted like, the most vile thing ever. My gateway beer that actually led me to loving beer is uh, was, was Heineken, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, my junior year of high school, I lived abroad in, in Ghana, in West Africa. Wow. And I was 17, and people there thought that I was, like, 30, <laughs> because uh, white people aged poorly compared to um, black people in West Africa. So they all thought I was ancient. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's other factors going on. Interesting. Other factors going on there, but they all thought I was way older than I actually was. Yeah. Probably the the beard at 17 didn't help either. But um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I was I, I was aware enough to be like, I'm not going to be able to legally drink for a while when I get home. But here I can buy mm-hmm. booze. So so yeah, Heineken and Guinness to a lesser extent. I didn't enjoy it at first, but I I sort of uh, forced myself to keep. And then one day I was like, oh. I fucking love Heineken. This is great. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because now I don't like Heineken. I mean, it's fine. I ha- I will say that 
Here, I don't drink it. Yeah. But when I was in yeah. Amsterdam and I had a fresh Heineken, yeah. it was fucking good. Yeah. And I, I definitely can believe that. It was really all those good. beers, by the time they get over here, are I know, all of them. Yeah. Pale in comparison. Yeah. But so that, those were, the, for me, it was, it was that. And then, and then uh, yeah, I came home and suddenly there was this wide array of beers that. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't get to mention that you moved to Ghana when you were 17 and not explain? <laughs> uh, you know, so um, I was uh, one of three kids, middle, middle child, two older sister, younger sister, and we grew up in kind of rural Walken County and um, basically just hated high school. Mm-hmm. And my older sister studied abroad in Austria. Uh, my last name is Finger, and I'm the middle finger, so I'm ornery by, by nature. Nice. And I was like, well, I'm not going to fucking go to Europe like she did. I'm going to... So I basically was flipping through this brochure of all the different places I could go through this one organization and uh, landed on, on Ghana um, for no particularly good reason other than I'm a big soccer fan and I'd watched their soccer team play in the World Cup and I'd done some research on, on Ghana and what a vibrant, lively culture it was. And anyhow, uh, yeah, it was a, as a 17-year-old, it was a shocking, oh, um, I can imagine. I can't uh, even imagine. ultimately wonderful experience, really beautiful country with wonderful people. But um, the, the funniest part about it is that even though it's definitely not a country known for its beer, that is sort of where my journey of, lo- of loving beer started. <laughs> be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Can be yeah, anywhere. No kidding. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's great. <laughs> um, when did you get into brewing? I remember you saying earlier that, that uh, you know, your parents were like, well, if you're going to drink beer in high school, you're yeah. going to make it yourself. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was actually a, a, upon coming home from living in Ghana. Uh-huh. I still remember to this day, I can go back to the story, but my dad pouring me a glass of fat tire. Came home from Ghana, and I still remember he went and did the same thing. And I was like, no, I'm going to have a whole one. I've been doing that for the last year. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, okay, as long as you're not driving anywhere tonight, that's fine. And so, so when I came back, from, I started just drinking beer with my parents. But I had a, a friend who's who uh, had gotten into homebrewing my senior year of high school. And so initially I started homebrewing with him. And then that Christmas, my parents bought me, you know, five-gallon extract kit and, yeah, the joy of homebrewing. Yeah, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. Do you, uh, what are your memories of that first brew? It was a porter. And I remember distinctly that it turned out really well. And then the next, like, 20 beers I made were trash. <laughs> but the first one was really good. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's <laughs> Somehow good. I just lucked out. And, of course, like, all homebrews at that stage, you don't know about oxidation or anything. Oh, yeah. You're just slamming beer into bottles. And You're just hoping. You just yeah. want the end result. Or one time in college, me and some friends made an arrogant bastard clone. We bottled it all, realized we'd forgotten the priming sugar, we dumped all the bottles back out into a bucket, added priming sugar, and then rebottled it. Yeah. We mo- almost certainly drank all of it, nonetheless. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, oh I've certainly done yeah. that. Drastic times. Mm-hmm. You're just like, well, I'm not, I mean, but, I mean, come on, you know. Do you remember, well, you, yeah, I think you already said this, really, what the beer was that, that flipped the switch mm-hmm. to where it wasn't just, I like this beer and I like beer. I want to know how to make that beer. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's a great question. Like I said, you know, Heineken was kind of 
gateway to like, oh, I like beer, period. Yeah, you um, were just looking to make product. It, it, exactly, yeah. And, <laughs> oh, man. I think for me, it was a couple of different, I think Stone IPA and Arrogant Bastard were two beers that for me were like beers I, I drank a lot of. And then I was like, wait, how can I make an IPA taste like this IPA? Mm-hmm. I think Black Butte Porter was another one yep, that I really want, wanted to replicate. My first porter yeah. was heavily inspired like, by Black yeah, Butte Porter. I've definitely done a number of attempted clones of, of mm-hmm. Black Butte Porter. I don't think I ever quite accomplished yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, no, me neither. Uh, but they were inspired by yeah, it. Totally. <laughs> um, but so then, yeah, it be, then it becomes your own. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, for me, very much in my early brewing years, it was definitely dark, dark beers and then, and then IPAs. Okay. Uh, it took a long time before I kind of got into my you know, current trend of mostly getting obsessed with 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 loggers. <laughs> yeah, this is it's a relatively new thing for me too. Mm-hmm. Like definitely within the last two or three years, yeah. um, I went through a big Belgian phase where it was like I'm brewing. I I didn't brew anything but Belgians for like yeah. two years, yep. and um, and it's just fun. I I'm obsessive. Anyway, so you know, for me, I'll just get on a kick and just beat it to death. And just be yep. like, okay, next. Um, but it's good because being the crazy, weird perfectionist that I am, you know, it's like I want to, I want to have it dialed. Mm-hmm. Got it. What's your what's your favorite beer to brew? You know, that's a great question. I guess generally speaking, it's 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 hard to differentiate between you know Pilsner and Hellas and premium lager, but definitely definitely the lager beers. I guess let's just say Pilsner. Okay, I like Pilsner a lot because you mean differentiate in the brewing process. Sorry, yes, in terms of like how much I enjoy brewing. I think Pilsner is fun because it's it's both a very fragile, subtle lager, but it's also very hop forward beer. Getting that hop balance right, balance, Jorgensen. Yes, balance. We like balance. Getting that hop balance and making it hop forward without making it a hoppy Pilsner. Yeah, while still letting the malt do its job and. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think Pilsner probably is my favorite beer to brew when I still occasionally get to brew. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you homebrew at all? You know, I have not homebrewed in a very long time. Mm-hmm. I have a very functional homebrew system mm-hmm. that's sitting in our warehouse yeah. on the Street. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am looking forward to we you know we have a a really nice one barrel Blickman pilot system in the track side. Oh, nice! Um, at the at, at track side, at track side. Yeah, you have a brewing system there. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, you know, in the state of Washington, the easiest way to get all ages licensing is to be a, a brewery. So we have a totally functional brewery down there. Um, I did not know yeah. that was Glycol, there. Glycol, chiller, everything. At Trackside? Uh, yeah. Yep. Holy shit. So, um, <laughs> I've only been down there once. Yeah. I would have been there more often if I actually lived in Bellingham. But yeah, um, but yeah I only went down there once and I didn't see... I, mean, I was kind of poking, you know, poking around. Yeah, it's kind of hidden back there. But we, yeah, we've yeah. got it. It's a, 
three vessel Blickman system, all electric. And then we've got two one barrel uh, fermenters and one one barrel bright. That's amazing. So yeah, that's so. So fun. I'm pretty. Sto- I'm pretty stoked actually. Have a, a pilot brewery. Yeah. You know, because you know the Sunnyland Brewery is kind of our pilot brewery, but seven barrels is still is a a, is, is the smallest we can do there. Yeah. This is a fifteen barrel mm-hmm. brew house, but um, so it'll be fun. There's things I want to do. I want to try making. Um, a non-alcoholic beer. I want to try making all kinds of different things. Ooh, I'd love to talk to you about yeah. that when you get to that point. Yeah, I, I'm. That's exciting. I am yeah. excited for you. Yeah, and I hope that you are able to maneuver things to where you can be like, okay, you take care of that here. You take mm-hmm. care of that here. I'm, I'm gonna I'm go. Going down there I'm gonna go make it. that peanut butter stout that I've been yeah, wanting to right. make forever. <laughs> <laughs> peanut butter milkshake smoothie stout. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A brute. Yes. Peanut butter. But also a brute. Milkshake. Yeah. And it'll be hazy. Yep. I mean, you won't be able to see it, but it'll be hazy. <laughs> um, you've probably just answered this as well, and we've been talking for a while, but what's your favorite beer to drink? Oh, man. I feel like I'm like a cliche because all folks have been brewing for a while. And they're talking about how much they love drinking lagers. Um, so I guess I, I will just say that I think I think Hellas. It's my, easy to appreciate yeah. the artistry that goes into it. Once when you yeah. understand how yeah. difficult it is yeah. to pull off really yeah. well, I think there's yeah. just that respect thing. So I'm going to give a two part answer. Good. Um, I think Hellas is my favorite beer to drink, just in terms of thinking about the entire year, what I want to drink when I get off work, a beer that I can have a few of and and, and feel like I can still. Yeah. Original sports drink. Right, exactly. Um, that being said, I, I still love a good West Coast IPA. Mm-hmm. You know, Heliotrope is one of the beers I'm most proud of um, at, at Colshan that I've, that I've created. And that was your baby? Mm-hmm. So talk about that. What, yeah. what uh, I mean, give us the... the well, I, I guess I'll give... Um, that beer was not original. That beer was fully based on Bodhi Zaffa. Right after Bodhi Zaffa mm-hmm. had won the gold at GABF. Um, I, to be totally honest, prior to Bodhi Zappa winning that award, didn't know much about Georgetown and maybe didn't think that highly of Georgetown. I had Manny's Pale Ale a number of times at the good old Grand Avenue Ale House. Not the best place to necessarily judge the quality of beer, but <laughs> some days it'd be clear, some days it'd be hazy. And I, was like, I think what? they have it at the bowling alley too. They do, yeah. yeah. And so, so Bodhi, I was at JBF the year that Bodhi Zappa won, and I was like, Really? that beer. And then I was at a festival in Tacoma a couple weeks later and I was like, I'm just going to go try it. And I tried it. And I was like, yeah, mine fucking, it's really like fucking amazing. Good. That beer yeah. is incredible. So Heliotrope definitely was designed to be not a hazy IPA, but a lower bitterness. I actually brought a, a fresh batch of that for mm-hmm. you to try. Um, uh, lower bitterness um, but still clear-ish um, West Coast IPA. So some days, if I'm just like, I'm I got to have one beer, then go home, I'll, I'll, I'll get a trope. But most days, it's Hellas or Hellas yeah. for me. Um, they're just, I think, these really amazing, nuanced, subtle beers that... It's like just, a rich uh, you know, song, you know, something yeah. that, that there's all these things that are just buried in the mix, and you yeah. listen to it on headphones, yeah. and... I mean, my favorite thing is a song that I've heard a billion times. I'll listen to it really carefully and something will pop out. 
And yeah. it's something new that I've never totally. heard before. Yep. Yeah. I, so. I kind of equate it to that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, with I, there. I'm, I'm with you as well. Like I, a good Hellas for me, it's Kolsch. Like I can just drink Kolsch. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, yeah. just the nuances that you get in Kolsch yeah. is just so good. Yeah. Mm. Um, on the flip side of all that, <laughs> what is your drinking guilty pleasure? Like something that you kind of like hide in the closet and pop open and drink and be like, is this just uh, by the beer? No, it can be anything. <laughs> I mean, if I'm not drinking beer, it can be. I'm, it doesn't even have to be alcoholic. It can be anything. Just what is oh, your, well, gui- well, not what's alcohol- your guilty pleasure? My to guilty drink? pleasure, actually, then in that framework, is uh, Coca-Cola. Okay, and that dates back to living in Ghana. It reminded me of home and Coca-Cola in the bottle. And I'm a huge uh, taco guy, mm-hmm. and so whenever I go to the taco place, I'm always drinking Coca-Cola out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, I love margaritas. Yeah, I love tequila. Like Reposado tequila is like my, the one like, I mean, I like whiskey too. So it, uh, hard to really, you know, yeah. narrow it down at all. But right. uh, I don't, you know, I'm not really, I wish I had some like trashy beverage I love drinking, but I don't know that I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. That's, that's not important. You know what has been a surprising answer overall is like white wine. Huh. Like a I mean, pinot, I, pinot gris yeah, or something totally, like that. Yeah. I don't dislike white wine, but oh, no. it's definitely not something that I, that I seek out. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Same. same. I, uh, my, my, like, uh, I love a good rosé. I'll, yeah. I'll drink rosé. Um, I like wine. I've my, my, uh, been an uncle in Seattle who's been a wine salesman down there for 30-some years. And oh, so wow. Whenever I'm with him, I love mm-hmm. delving into wine. Yeah. Yeah, I've got wine friends, for yeah. sure. It's good. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the problem. So many things are good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. And it's the bummer. It's like sometimes I get bummed out that my all almost all of my favorite drinks are alcoholic because yeah. I just want to drink them. Yeah. And it's like, I, like I'm yeah. not drinking this in order to be drunk, but if I continue to drink these, I will be drunk. I know, right? And uh, is that a correlation? It's like, I just like if. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I wanted to talk to you about yeah. non-alcoholic beers because every non-alcoholic beer I've tried just hasn't quite hit the mark. You know, even the yeah, athletic yeah. stuff, it just, you get that sweet, wordy flavor. And if somebody ever perfected yeah. the procedure, like if I could drink a non-alcoholic Kolsch or a non-alcoholic Imperial Stout or like Duval or something like that, and it was yeah. even almost as good as those. I'm on board. Like, yeah. I don't need the alcohol necessarily, but the bummer is that some things, the stronger beers, especially alcohol, is part of the flavor. And profile. I think even the even the smaller beers too. That's like I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, I think it's for me. Like, thinking about brewing it, it's a fun challenge to think mm-hmm. like how close could you get to that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that. The alcohol is part of that flavor profile. It is. Even with a four and a half percent, you know, lager of some sort, mm-hmm. it still is part of what's going on. And I, I think some of the best NA beers out there are ones where they're literally through membrane, membrane filtration, filtering the alcohol out mm-hmm. to brewery of our size, unless we were to really go all in on doing. Yeah. And then it was for us. Prohibitively doing. expensive. Right. And um, I don't know any way to do it on a homebrewed level. No, no. Yeah. Other than, you know, making a massively under-attenuated beer, which, you know, 
So yeah, so I'm intrigued by it because it's it's growing in popularity. And like you, I, I agree. There's times where it's like, hey, you know, um, if you could have a a pilsner that only has you know less than one percent alcohol, that that sounds kind of nice. Yeah, but I, I think realistically speaking, I want to try doing it on our pilot system just to see. Mm-hmm. But I think you know the alcohol is a key component in in mouthfeel and yeah. body and it is and in, and in how flavors. Um, come out of the beer. Yeah, you know? it's the same struggle that you know, Im- Impossible Burger and stuff right. like that's happening. Like, how do you mimic that the meatiness? Right. You know, it, probably even harder. It's probably <laughs> even harder. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because yeah. it's probably not something that you add. I do believe that at some point they'll figure it out. Oh, I think you so too. Know, them, they will figure it out. They it might not be will, in our what, lifetimes, but yeah. Um, and whether maybe, or and whether small craft brewers can replicate that, right? Yeah. It, it, what is the procedure to to right. do it? Speaking of lagers, I've been meaning to ask you because the Hellas was delicious. Mm-hmm. The Pilsner is delicious. I mean, you guys do solid solid work. Yeah. What uh, what yeast do you use on that? If if you can, hey, I, divulge. I, I totally respect folks who. Uh, Things on the on the DL. I, I think that no, nothing that we do is is very uh, tricky. Or uh, I, I'm always willing to share. Um, we use a Y yeast twenty three fifty two Munich two. Okay. Um, and and okay. that was so we for a long time, even prior to me becoming head brewer, used uh, White Labs eight thirty three their German Bach yeast, mm. and that was um, interesting. It was an interesting choice. It's a very versatile um, strain is why we chose it. Um, that was chosen back when we were developing the premium lager um, beer. And basically, the head beer at the time, Tom, thought that it was a nice, clean strain for that. And it also would make a nice Pilsner, a nice Hellas, a nice Doppelbach. And that was absolutely true. It really did. However, it made a really, in my opinion, amazing Doppelbach, amazing Maybach. And it okay Pilsner, okay mm-hmm. Hellas. And, and after going to Germany back in the winter of 2018, I came back just being like, we can't keep using this. Mm-hmm. And that was after particularly drinking um, the Augustiner Hellas, which for me is the beer that I designed our, at least in my brain, mm-hmm. desi- designed our Hellas Broke after. Reverse engineered. Right, precisely. So um, so we, tr- we trialed a couple different you know, you can go on the on the Googles and uh, try to figure out where different yeast strains, strains come from. And we tried out the um, strain we use now, the 2352 from Y Yeast, and also the BSI Augustiner Lager. And we just found that the um, the one from Y Yeast, we preferred it. And I've really, really enjoyed it. I mean, um, it really, across the board, I think performs pretty well, you mm-hmm. know, um, do you use it for all your lagers? Um, pretty much. We have used, for our Mexican lager, we use um, 3470. Yeah, it's kind of a unique one. Yep. Uh, this, is a, this is a question that, that Robert Arzu actually thought was a, was a good question to ask. And it, and it is. And it had never really occurred to me. But what is your favorite food pairing with one of the beers that you brew? Ooh, well, you know... I think for me, unfortunately, it's been very uh, biased. Uh, I, I've, I'm obsessed with making tacos. I me too. Press my own tortillas. I 
love. Me too. Um, I think recently this this summer at least I've gotten really into making. Um, I've got a great fish taco recipe I've, I've been into, and so I think. Um, I mean, I guess choosing which lager, but probably Pilsner with with the fish tacos has been great. Yeah, it's um, really good. Yeah, and I think with 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 pairing beer with food, beer pairs so well with so many foods. But there are things that pair better than others, and I think tacos with with lagers are just there's a reason that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. It just it goes great. Well, um, that sweet breadiness yeah. along with that crisp, yeah. sulfury yeah. note, and yeah. But I guess I would even elaborate on that, though, to like break outside of that. I think I also really enjoy sometimes pairing. Um, I think some of the IPAs also go great, if you, especially if you like uh, ramp up the spice a little bit. Mm-hmm. That the really hoppy beers actually can pair nicely with mm-hmm. with some like, spicier stuff, nice mango with, salsa or something right, like that. Something like that, yeah. you can get a nice spicy IPA or, or a hoppy IPA. Um, but uh, but for me, that's that's. Typically, nice. when I'm really thinking about, oh, I want to pair this one beer made with, with this food I'm making, it's, it's usually taco. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk tortillas for a little bit. Yeah. Corn or flour? Corn. Corn. Yep. All right. Actually, uh, Dave Vitt, um, he's gotten really into milling. I mean, it's been a while. I mean, he, he mills his own wood from his property. He, he logs. And he, uh, he went to um, Baja a number of like five years ago and got into pressing tortillas. And then I went to Baja with some friends back in 2018, came back and bought like, you know, somewhere about like a cast iron tortilla press and was mm-hmm. doing that and he ended up making me this maple tortilla press wow and so what, what i do and i'm still over time dialing it in i typically <laughs> do like a 75 masa and 25 percent just all-purpose flour i think the all-purpose flour just gives it a bit more elasticity whereas mm-hmm. straight corn tortillas are a bit crumbly sometimes mm-hmm. and then i do i do lard and water yeah. lard critical yeah um, yeah, I'm more of a flour guy, but I, you know, I grew up in, in Texas, so it's yeah. more Tex-Mex, you know, stuff, but I do, I do enjoy a good flour tortilla. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, corn tortilla. Yep. I just have never personally made a good one, Yeah, but I will try the 25% yep. uh, flour. But with the flour tortillas, you're like rolling them out, right? Um, I'm more, I don't really roll them so yeah. much. What I do is I just, I, I get a, a Ziploc bag that I cut in half. And I make the balls and then, and then I just get two big books and I just stand on it. So I do press them and then I just kind of finish it by rolling it out. Because I do love a good flour tortilla. Just the reality is like with the tortilla press, the gluten, it's, it's just hard to like hand press them. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, I mean, I do like the corn tortillas as well, but flour is just more work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And see, I try not to make it more yep. work um, yep. because I, I stand on it yep. and then just kind of finish it off. Totally, yeah. And then I go back and forth as whether I'm putting baking powder in there to make it like mm-hmm. more of a puffy tortilla. Totally. Yeah, the last set of tortillas I made were just a complete disasters. Yeah. It was just like, oh, but I was stuck with them and I, I mean, ate them all They're week. fun though because you can just always be like, oh, yeah. today, it was more like a flat. Today we're going to try this. I'm going to try that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, they're fun to make. Yeah. I, I love it. All right. I'm on board. Um, <laughs> No, knowing where you're going in a couple weeks, I might have the answer to this already, but what, what's your favorite beer destination? And it can be you know, domestic or global. Or- totally, yeah. In terms of places I've gone, I guess, you know, I think Bomberg was the most sort of like romantic, like when you think of drinking beer in, in Europe, like that was amazing. Um, I will say 
that aside, I, I've never I've never been a big cask um, beer guy until I, uh, March of 2020, as the world was going to shit. I was over in England visiting family, hmm. and I realized how amazing a, a true, well done cask ale is. Yeah, so, I so and, and I think there's nothing in terms of a pub experience, nothing beats a true English pub. You know, and, and so that 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 was a pleasant surprise because I, me and my uncle who who lives over there right now, we're both big soccer fans. I went there to watch soccer, thinking oh, I'm not going to like the beer that much. I'm, you know, I, if I want to go to Europe to drink beer, I'll go to Germany. But then I ended up actually having a mm. great, oh, I, can, I can really really enjoying the beer. A good there. bitter, yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> amazing, so good. Um, so so yeah, I think still for me, if I had to you know, say. Bomberg is the most amazing beer drinking experience I've had. But I was uh, second to that would probably be Sheffield in, 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 in uh, England. Just amazing, uh, you know, true to style cask beers. Nice. Done the right way. Yeah. Someday on my list. <laughs> yep. Do you have a brewing hero or heroine or a favorite brewery outside of Colson, of course? Oh my gosh. Definitely my favorite beers are ones that I, I don't make myself. But I don't think, <laughs> gosh, in terms of a particular <laughs> brewer, I don't know. Um, but you kind of have a unique experience. You know, you came in to this brewery that was yeah. already around and just kind of rose through the ranks. So, yeah, I mean, not that you don't know a ton of other yeah. brewers, but you never worked with them. Yeah, I think for me, I think a lot of, um, I certainly, I think, I don't know if this, I, I definitely respect breweries that nail the consistency side of things. So I think certainly a lot of the, the beers process, process you know, <laughs> um, so I suppose I don't know the brewers who are behind a lot of the beers I like most. Right. Um, that's why what, I put whether, favorite brewery as well. Yeah. You know, just. Um, whether that's, you know, these, these beers I've had in, in Germany or. Um, my favorite Mexican lager, uh, Victoria, which I think now is a Modelo brewery. So who knows Probably. who the heck yeah. makes those beers? Um, you know, I guess here in I, here 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 in Bellingham, uh, and especially with Chucknut now leaving, I guess you know, obviously Will Kemper's been a big mm-hmm. influence just in terms of his focus on process. So, and, and I, I think for me, just looking. I you know I don't know some of these folks that well. I've, I've I really admire what um, uh, Ben Edmonds at Breakside has done in terms of being a brewery somewhat similar to Colston, where they make their bread and butter or IPAs, and yet yeah, they that's also true. they also I could make see that similarity. They yeah. also make pretty darn good lagers as well. I think mm-hmm. lagers are a pretty small part of what do they do, but I've always admired what they do there. I don't know. I I admire. It's an unfair so, question. No, no, no. Yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's a great question because it's just funny to think about how many folks out there that have inspired me in one way or another. I don't think I have like one yeah. favorite, you know? That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you answered that by just, yeah. Just, you know, like, I just, I love good brewers. Yeah, I guess, you know, the best way to answer that is in terms of like what I aspire to be, it's brewers who are very process driven, but also are willing to, to break outside of what they think their lane is to try to try something new. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. Yeah. Yep. I get it. 
So this is even a, a more interesting question now than when I originally started asking this. But given all of the craziness in the world and just and the uncertainty that's just inherent in this industry, where as a professional do you see the beer industry going in five years and even hmm. ten years plus? I mean, what? Are, what are your thoughts on the general direction? Yeah, I, I think, um, and I, I feel like some of my thoughts on this right now are very driven by the current climate we're sure. in. But, um, you know, we're seeing insane constraints when it comes to worldwide shipping uh, channels and whatnot. You know, I've, I ordered a container of Environment Malt back in July. That was slated to arrive last week, and that right now is projected to arrive next month. Maybe. Might not arrive till next year. Right. And I think a lot of us have been reading these things about how ports are just overloaded and all that sort of stuff. Well, container ships are just yeah. sitting out in the harbors. Um, yeah. Not only that, I just had a conversation with uh, my rep at, at BSG last week about what a disastrous barley crop we had this year in North mm. America. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of sort of doom and gloom things going on. I do think one of the things that will arise from that is, is a, is a silver lining. And I guess I say that as somebody who currently doesn't use a whole lot of locally sourced barley, I think you're going to probably, a silver lining could be a lot more locally sourced, mm-hmm. um, ingredients, especially, um, for those of us who brew beer in a place that can actually grow mm-hmm. barley and. And hops for us are more resilient, and they're also already grown pretty nearby, mm-hmm. um, which is in Yakima. You can drive down and get them if you have right. to. We were in Yakima last weekend, and they had a, a pretty average uh, hop harvest this year, which all things considered was a good thing, considering how a lot of other crops fared this year. So I don't know. I, I, I definitely think um, some of the things we're seeing in terms of how our two main you know crops, barley and yeah. It, uh, it, and hops, it's not, it's not great. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And, yeah. it's, and it's all connected. Um, you know, I, I keep going back to these, to the beer dorks that I worked with at King Street, but they were complaining about, you know, God, beer's gotten so expensive. Like, well, yeah. what do you like to drink? Hazies. Like, well, how many hops do you think go into that? Let me tell you, you're not getting any bitterness. You're adding yeah. them all at the ends. Like, yeah. it takes a fuck ton of hops yeah. to put in there. Hops are expensive. Ops yeah. are only going to get more expensive because the ones that you like are the ones that everybody likes yep. and they're harder to get. Yep. And then the, the COVID, yeah, it's getting harder to ship things. Yep. It's becoming more expensive. Things are on a priority or they're not. Things are sitting out on boats. Things yeah. are sitting at harbors. Like everything. Like yeah. you think beer is getting more expensive? It's like it will continue to get more expensive. Yeah. Your food will continue to get more expensive, yeah. and your gas will continue to get more it's, expensive. And, and it turns out they're all fucking it's connected. All <laughs> connected. <laughs> it's all connected. So who knows? Hopefully, yeah. that might drive a trend towards if you can mm-hmm. grow barley and your yeah. local. We seem to have done the like neighborhood pub, like yep. you know, local is better. Mm-hmm. But now, really, really, really but, local. But it is. It, it's interesting that I think you know. Beer has become a pretty much a international thing where you know we're buying some grain from Germany and 
the UK and they're buying some hops from us. And it's just sort of like- The availability is amazing. But I, I think, you know- Even on a homebrew level. Yep, absolutely. And that might become a little bit uh, tougher to do. Mm-hmm. It might not entirely be a bad thing. Um, but it yeah. will, I say, you know, I think- A little for, force like yeah. Great Western to make yeah. something like, okay, well, let's make something closer yeah. to like- uh, Golden, Golden Promise, Promise or whatever. Or yeah. whatever. Vireman Pilsner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. So, um, yeah, I think we've been, uh, at least for me in my eight years at Colson, it's been a pretty easy time when it comes to ingredients. Like yeah. um, the price of, you know, two row hail base malt in our silo is right now what we're paying is cheaper than when I first started at Colson. Wow. But that is most certainly going to yeah. change in the next year. And probably it's offset by hop market. Yep. Because, so, I mean, yeah, and hops like, yeah. who knew that it was going to become so imperative yeah. to have, like, contracts yep. on hops? Yeah. Year, you know, a year in advance. Or for us, it's usually three years. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, multiple years. Yeah. Yep. I was trying to be conservative. No, no, it, it depends. Yeah, on the, it's crazy. It depends on the variety and, and, yeah, and, sure. and how much it matters to us, but yeah. 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 It's nuts. Well, speaking of, what uh, I like this this question. What is your favorite? This is all about your favorite ingredients. What's your favorite <laughs> hop? Well, I'm gonna probably be a, a basic bitch here. Um, you know, it, I, in terms of thinking about IPA hops, um, Citra, absolutely. Oh, Citra. Okay. I know it's now the most grown hop in the world. I believe that. Highest acreage. I think it's an incredible hop. I think it's got incredible, depending on the citra you contract. And, and um, there's a wide variety of different profiles you get from citra. Interesting. But what we okay. contract is definitely very grapefruit heavy, very kind of orchard fruit, like pear heavy. And I, I just think it's an incredible hop. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to trying that. Yeah. Fresh hop. Um, that's, though, for me, thinking about hops in terms of making an IPA. Lager hop-wise, I, I really like German Saffir. Um, mm, I've never um, tried that. It's from the, the Huel breeding program. It's a somewhat newer hop, but it still is very much so noble, you know, um, herbal, floral, but with a tinge of fruitiness to it. So I've enjoyed using that. Any spice in, to it at all? Like a sauce Very or subtle. Yeah. Much more subtle than like a tetanang or a sauce okay. or something like that. But that's been a fun one to use as well. And, and that's kind of our main like late edition hop in the Pilsner, also in the Hellas. Um, so to, hops are interesting. It's kind of like, you know, it's, there's, there's definite categories where it's kind of like, well, I love Citra, but do I want to make my Pilsner with Citra? I'm not right. Really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's, or vice versa. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's interesting. Like, well, you know, lager versus, you know, ale, two different things. Uh, what is your favorite grain? You know, um, in terms of like base malt, I think um, either either Golden Promise or, or Vireman Barca Pilsner. Um, What's the Barca? Barca's just a, a more uh, heritage variety of barley. You know, um, uh, classic, just normal Vireman Pilsner, at least last time I looked, might fluctuate is Copeland. So it's, you know, pretty much the same barley variety that is in our silo from RAR or, you know, Skagit obviously has Copeland as well. Mm-hmm. Not to say that that's bad. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great, very agronomically sound variety. Um, Barker is a somewhat, like, lower yield. 
not more flavorful because you don't necessarily want that with like a Pilsner malt, but it's a it's got a bit more character to it. Usually we blend it like 50-50 with just regular vitamin pills um, in, in our Pilsner and in our Hellas. Um, is that because it's maybe a little, a little grassy? Is it kind yeah, of grassy? So, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Uh, the times we've done 100% Barca, I've found it to be a, you mentioned a bit too much. I've yeah. found that with, yeah. uh, with Skagit yeah. uh, Pilsner malts as well. Like, ooh, it's a little, a little of these, too much. A lot of these light beers, if you're like, huh, I noticed that. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't want to notice it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I you know I definitely really enjoy both. I guess both the Barca pills and the just regular Ryman pills, and then Golden Problems. I think if you're yeah. if you're making, and it's you know one of those things where it's, it's super soft, it's amazing, kind of sweet. Yep. So love those malts. I mean, I think malt to me uh, doesn't get talked enough, talked about uh, nearly enough. I and, agree. Um, I I love playing with malts and. For me now, it's a lot of different things. You know, I really enjoy enjoy using spelt malt in different settings. I, I think um, it, malt is can be as fun as malt malts. makes the beer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, it all works yeah. together. But anyway, that's um, no, true. You can make you can make beer without hops. Yeah, you sure as shit can't make beer without malt. right. Yeah, <laughs> you literally cannot yeah. make beer without malt. For a long time, I stopped drinking IPAs just because they got. So hoppy, you know, it was just a, a, a battle to see how many IBUs you could get. Totally. And it was like, well, it's like making hot sauce. I love hot sauce, right? But I want flavor in my hot sauce. Yeah. I want yeah. balance. Totally. <laughs> Jorgensen. Hear that, Eric? Balance. Balance. <laughs> to me, a beer without some kind of malt character yeah. it might as well just be. Hop tea, you know, or something like that. And hop um, tea tastes like ass. It's terrible. <laughs> hop tea is awful. I was, I was chatting yeah, last that's week. That's why you put malt in yeah. it and then yeast for good. Measure. I was talking last when I was in Yakima last week with some hop reps. I was like, yeah, just hop tea is terrible. It doesn't smell like it's going to smell when you add hops to to wort or to you know beer. And, and if you taste it, it's, it's awful. Terrible. Like, yeah, yeah. We, we don't know. Super that. astringent. Yeah. 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 But, um, what's your favorite yeast to round this out? You know, it's got to be this, this, this uh, Munich 2, the 2352. I'm intrigued by that. Yeah. Because in, in my time at Colson, we've tried so many different lager yeasts. And I don't want to um, diminish how much I think American Ale Chico. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible yeast. And there's a reason that it's the most used yeast. Super versatile. I love that yeast. And, and I will never yep. turn my back on that yeast. It's, yep. it's incredible. Ditto. But it is just, it's the workhorse. It's just, you know, it's, it's, but in terms of the yeast that has the most sort of just being like, that's the fucking one that's to make these subtle, fragile beers. Like it's, it's just been great. And um, so, so what is it again? Who makes it? Why yeast? Why yeast? Why yeast 2352? That being said, though, there's so many yeast strains that I have oh. never used. Yeah. And, and for me, it's one of those ones that I think simultaneously people get too hung up on their yeast strain. But at the same time, I also don't want to stop mm-hmm. experimenting yeah. and trying new strains. And I understand that most of the expression and the, and the, the core flavor comes from the yeast. But... To me, it's far more fun to play around with the grist bill and yeah. and 
try all the different malts and do stuff like that and try and tweak it in there instead of just jumping from yeast to yeast to yep. yeast. I mean, I, I mean, God, I've been brewing for a long time and compared to the different grains and hops that I've tried, I, no, not even hops, like more grains. I haven't tried that many yeasts. Yep. I mean, I've tried a lot, but given the whole span of time, you know, it's, it's more fun for me to be like, oh, that was close. I bet if I dial this in, I always think in, my first go-to to change a recipe is grains, not yep. necessarily yeast, unless yep. it's just the wrong yeast totally. for, for, for that. But I think by and large, it makes more sense in terms of like thinking about, it. we've got this giant slew of variables we can mm-hmm. fuck with. But if we want to perfect something, we should really pick and choose what variables we fuck with. And mm-hmm. yeast is not the logical one to do. Right. Until you're like, all right, this recipe is dialed in. Mm-hmm. Maybe now. I wonder what it would taste right. like with this flavor profile. So that was us. Yeah. We, we were, we've been bringing premium lager for years. And we're like, what if we just tried this other yeast? And that was, it was an anecdotal thing coming back from Germany being like, I love these beers. The yeast we've been using, this the Bach yeast, just kind of left this like honey nut Cheerio flavor on huh. all the beers. And it it's was like, specific. well, yeah. And it was like, well, is that a process thing or is that a yeast thing? Right. Let's try this other yeast strain. And at least, I'm not saying it wasn't processed, but when we changed the yeast, it got rid of that. Well, flavor component. So that answers. It at that. least solved that problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. On the on the home stretch here. Yep. This is my one of my favorite questions, uh, and I ripped it off from a podcast. I haven't said that in a while, so <laughs> I just always feel the need to every once in a while say that. There used to be a podcast called The Dinner Party Download, and uh, they asked this question at the end, and I loved the idea, so I ripped it off. Tell us something that we don't know, and it can be. Anything can be about you, can be a piece of trivia, (laughs) anything that you know that you think the average person probably doesn't, isn't aware of. Oh, man. That is a fucking good question. Hard one. Something that, yeah. My my favorite, like when, when, if somebody were to ask me that, I would say something like, you know, did you know Willie Nelson wrote Crazy for Patsy Cline? Mm. Or did you know the Bee Gees wrote Islands in the Stream for Kenny Rogers? Or one of my Hardy? favorites, did you know that Bruce Springsteen wrote Atlantic City, even though most folks think the band wrote that? Atlantic City? That's yeah. Homework for you. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge uh, Bruce Springsteen fan, which is a bizarre thing for a person born in 1991. Um, <laughs> uh, huh. Sort of falling back on just, you know, dumb marketing shit. But I think one thing, and this is not going to answer your question at all, but I think it is crazy to think about the fact that we now are you know, going to be the second oldest brewery in Bellingham when Chuck and I leave a crazy thing to think about. That is. Yeah, because it was 2012. Yeah. Yeah. In 10 years next month or next year. Yeah. Sort of for me a bit of a mind mind. Yeah, and you've been there for eight of it. Yeah, when I got hired at Colchon, I was the youngest employee by a couple years and 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 now I'm gonna be the longest serving employee. Wow. 
with Dave. Right. And Kelly. Yeah, because Ben yeah. left, right? Ben yep. left again. Yep, Ben left. Ben left, came back, left again. Yeah. Um, I think it's still a bit crazy to me that Bastard Cat is still our beer we produce the most of. Not so surprising to me, I don't think. It's only surprising to me just in terms of the fact that I think those classic bitter West Coast IPAs are not as popular as they once were, but there still is this audience that, that loves them. And it's a great beer, don't get me wrong. It's, yeah. People that have been drinking beer a long time still appreciate those beers. Yep. Those, are the, those are the people that appreciate the flagship yep. beers. You know? yep. And I would include myself in that. You know? yeah. um, I don't know. I mean, I'll just be completely honest. Bastard Cat was never my favorite, not because of any fault in it, but the hop choices. For whatever reason, yeah. I it wasn't my it wasn't yeah. my thing. I love the Sunnyland. Yeah. Um, I haven't really drank that much of the Heliotrope because mm-hmm. once I found the Sunnyland, anytime I went there, if yeah. I wasn't drinking like a Hellas or something like that, I was like okay, well, give me a Sunnyland. Um, I like the Greenwood as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, well, if you like Greenwood and Sunnyland, you'll probably like Heliotrope. Yeah, it's just like at seven and a half percent, it's just a little bit of more of a, mm-hmm. of a heavy hitter. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. All yeah, right. huge shout out to uh, Goods Local Brews for helping that beer uh, take off. Yeah, that's with, a fun, with, with without that's those guys, that beer probably wouldn't have reached the the heights it has. Nice, that's great so. and sweet. Yeah. Um, well, is uh, anything that I missed that you want to add? Actually, before I ask yeah. that, I should ask. Uh, is there, uh, do you have any advice for people that are brewing hardcore right now yeah. and want to be where you are? Yeah, I think, you know, um, it's weird to be at a point where I feel like I can give people advice. You've been in it eight years, <laughs> you're the lead brewer. But like, I, I, I think for me, the, the, the biggest thing that I remind myself of is just never stop being a student of the craft. Absolutely. You know, I think. Never stop um, learning. I think being humble, even if even if you make amazing beer and you're winning awards, just there's always more to learn. I think the awesome thing about craft beer is that you can teach yourself all the shit, pretty mm-hmm. much. If you want to go be a brewer at Miller Coors, and if you want to do that, power to you. Mm-hmm. But you probably gotta go, you to, gotta school go to school and do that, yeah. you know. But if you want to go be a craft brewer, like you can teach yourself most of that stuff. I think it's be humble, and I think. Particularly for folks, what I, what I always tell people who want to get into brewing, whether it's in a job interview or whatever, is that you want to own a brewery that's good on you, but go work somewhere mm-hmm. else first. <laughs> yeah. You know, get that experience. Discover if you actually like scrubbing kegs. And I think the biggest thing is just it, beer is so fun. And if, and if you don't enjoy reading about it and learning about it and always wanting to learn more, then you're probably not going to make that good at beer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I I tell people that and that it's a factory job. You just happen to make beer at this factory and you got to like being wet. Yep. Yeah. If you don't like doing the same things over and over again (laughs) and you don't like being wet, then probably not for you. (laughs) Right. Again, process or yet. I think there is often an over romanticized vision of what making beer is. Yeah. And there is a very romantic part of it. You know, for me, it's, Oh, I mean, for me, it's like I'd walking out of the brew at the end of the day with the lights off and hearing the bubbling. That's still just 
Yeah, I love it. You I, know, I loved the fact that I could walk through, and I, I still can. Anytime I walk through the, the Boundary Bay Brewery, yeah. I can hear exactly what's happened. Yeah. yeah. You just get to know the sounds. And if something's missing or if something's just a little yeah. off, you know, ex- you're just like, what? what's going on? Okay, now I'll ask. Is there anything that I missed that, that you want to add? I don't think so. I think uh, I would just say, if, uh, you know, for those Bellingham Walkman listeners out there, uh, keep supporting this awesome brewing community. Absolutely. It's, it's been, uh, for me, a, a pleasure and an honor kind of growing with the community. And it's been so fun to see all these new inclusions, you know. Um, Definitely, you know, during a pandemic scene, Ben and Carolina come off the scene and kill it. Yeah. Um, Seeing these breweries have been around for for quite a while, continue to come out with awesome new beers. And and, uh, and then hearing of these new breweries who are in planning stages right now. um, I think the biggest thing you always hear is people, are there too many breweries now? Is it tapped out or blah, blah, blah? And people ever ask that about restaurants? Like, I think if you've got a good idea and a good vision... Yeah. And you want to make quality beer? Like, I can't speak for other breweries in town, but I'll say bring it. Like, you yeah. know, you need to find yeah. your niche. You know, you need yeah. to, you can't come into it brand new and say, well, I'm going to make Kulshan's beers, yeah. or I'm going to make Boundaries beers, or I'm going to make Wander's right. beers. You've got to have your own thing. Yeah. Can't just come in and be like, oh, I'm just here to make money. Right. But yeah, uh, if, you, if you have that vision and, and you love good beer, like, we're all stoked to. Yeah. I've been shocked and happily amazed that in this pandemic time, most of the breweries in Bellingham, the the owners that I've spoken with, especially in the beginning, I was like, how are you doing? I remember talking to Jason at Simmons, like, Mm -hmm. you you guys are pretty new. Like, how are you doing? He's like, you know, we adapted, but we're doing great. We're doing fine. And, uh, you know, it wasn't easy, but they made it. Everybody made it. And if anything, more solidified their yeah. fan base and, uh, and found ways to reach out and yep. involve people in it. I'm, I mean, there's so many reasons that I love the beer yeah. industry and the beer, <laughs> well, the beer community, yep. the brewing community. Because generally speaking, you're just a raging dick. You don't really last that long in the brewing community. Generally, people figure that out. And yeah, not, not into it. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. and, and I, I think part of that reason is because you have to be kind of a specific kind of crazy to be a brewer. Totally. You know, yeah. you know it's it's not for everybody. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, we've been talking for like three hours, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and we're out of beer. Yeah. So. Um, so we're going to cut off the mics and continue to talk yeah. until our voices give out. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for being here. I yeah, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for helping me shake off the rust. Yep. I feel that uh, <laughs> this got a little smoother as it went on, and it wasn't oh, yeah. just because of the beers. I'm really looking forward to, to, um, to releasing this one. Yep. It'll be a lot of fun. All right. Well, thanks to Wes for taking the time to sit down and chat. Between what he brought and what I had on tap, we were well fortified for a proper get-to-know-you session. Be sure and hit up Kulshan in one of their three locations and try the ever-evolving offerings. Let's 
exciting to me, I think, is that each outpost has the ability to brew one-offs on site, so the potential for the fun and the new is tripled. And I just had the million dollar idea that they should have a food truck called Get Some that makes an American take on Dim Sum. You're welcome, Dave. I want 20%. As always, reach me at Dave at taptrail.com or on Facebook at the Tapton Beercast page or on Instagram at Tapton Beercast and be a part of the next episode's discussion. Anything goes. Beer questions, guest requests, podcast recommendations, letting me know that you actually listen to this. Whatever. It's a conversation after all, not a lecture. And of course, don't forget to rate and give us all the stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, YouTube Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your rambling content. It truly helps. I mean that. And hey, if you take the time to review us, make sure I know, and I'll read your review live on the air. Whatever that means these days. Finally, if you or someone you know is interested in being a sponsor for Tapped In, shoot me an email. I will pass it along to proper mid-level executive at Tap Trail. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay responsible, and don't be a jerk. <laughs>